0: Uh, last time I spoke, my lecture notes started going everywhere. So raided the laundry, pegged it all down. <laughs> well, here we are. It's actually Pentecost Sunday. Um, we're going to be looking at a verse, just a little bit on, and uh, it'd be good to look up on your phones or whatever you have a Bible in front of you. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 while you're looking at that I've got one important question to ask why did God invent winter I've got no idea Actually, I saw Jess when she was coming up to sing. She had a beanie on her head. And I went up to her politely and said, are you allowed to preach with a beanie on in this church? She said, yeah, that's fine, no problem. I said, beauty, I'm up and running. Then I spoke to Reuben. He says, you're not going to be preaching with that Cronulla beanie on, are you? I just can't win anywhere, whichever way I go. So my apologies, although Richard would be very happy. I see him over here in the warm room. Chicken. <laughs> Warming himself up. Um... So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. But we have one other question as you're looking that up is, are you excited about the scriptures this morning? Oh, it doesn't sound like it. Are you excited about the scriptures this morning? Very good. <laughs> Very good. Put up your hand if you own a house or all uh, the bank owns it, but you're paying it off. <laughs> Very good. Now, i will ask you a question. If the Scriptures told you to sell your house and your possessions, are you still excited about the Scriptures? Yeah. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. And I think that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, is this passage actually, it just looks like a brief summary of what's going on. And it is in a sense, but I think it's more than that, of what's just taken place in chapter 1 and chapter 2. I think it's the effects of Pentecost, Pentecost has come, the wind has been violent in the room, and the tongues of fire have come, and the Holy Spirit has come for the first time upon the believers at Pentecost. And I think this passage looks at that it's not just a one-off moment, that actually there's a follow-on. There's an actual movement that happens. And I think this verse from 42 to 47 also you could categorise as the characteristics, or some of the characteristics at least, of a healthy church. And I want to start off by just sharing a little bit of my journey with the Holy Spirit. Now, my parents uh, sent me to Jamboree Anglican Youth Group, and I think, what are they doing that for? And mum and dad said, when we got married, we made a commitment. We'd raise you up in the Christian faith. Now, they're not Christians, as I understand it, although they are on a journey now. And they said, we, we made a promise out our wedding. We'll bring you up to the church. So get up there. Wow. <laughs> like, OK, all right, fair enough. And not much to do in the local town. So we go into Jamboree Youth Group. I'm looking around, thinking, I don't know too many people here. We've just moved into the area. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to stay here. But I know it was about country women's cooking. When the delicious, the scrumptious custard tarts, apple pies start coming out, you know you're on a good wicket, so you're gonna to go to youth group for the next month. So I went to the youth group, plenty of food. There was a young lady that I was interested in to be truthful, and I started becoming a member there, so to speak, it wasn't just a fly-in. And then one night, one day or one night, I can't quite remember, I spent the afternoon, a guest speaker turned up. And the guest speaker was talking about Outback Ministry and doing youth work in Outback Ministry. And as the film was being relayed, or the slides I can't remember which, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit around me for the first time in my life. The Spirit encompassed me, a feeling went through my body from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes, and I knew for the first time the presence of the Lord. And the guy that was running the film actually stopped it. And he said, I've just been moved by the spirit that someone here has been challenged to come to faith and to go into ministry to do youth work. And I knew it was me, straight away, there's no doubt. He said, would that person like to put up your hand? The country boy break the leaf, hell no. Oh, putting up my hand, what the heck's he doing? Like, trying to embarrass me in front of the group, you gotta be joking. I'm out of here, he nearly walked out the door. But I knew it was me. I don't know why to this day, but within four months, I'd walked away from the youth group. I'd wandered back out into the world with my mates and so forth. And then there were some significant moments that brought me back to ask the question, what was that all about, that film? Why did I have that feeling on that day? And I used to read my Bible because the church youth group had fallen apart up on on, on the hill on my dad's farm. And I was really devoting myself, searching and asking the question, what is it you want from me, God? What is it that happened four years ago when I felt your presence? What is this all about? I was getting a bit cranky. And I read the Sermon on the Mount and it convicted me. I'm not the person I thought I was. My nature and God's nature were poles apart. I said, how do I fix this problem? How do I fix it? And then I started reading the book of (laughs) Revelation, the book of Romans, and it worked out, there's nothing I can do. Is it a gift from God? And when that dawned on me, especially Romans chapter 5, I felt the Spirit fully take up permanent residence in me on that day as I walked down from the hill saying, thank you, I know what the answer is. And from that moment on, I devoted myself to the Scriptures. I was so wrapped in the Scriptures that I would read it on the weekends, all day Saturday and all day Sunday. For at least six months straight, it happened like that. The fascinating thing at this point was that the scriptures, and that was moving me from my old ways of doing things, into a whole new realm. And the one thing that I think the church gets distracted by is many things in this world. And the thing that I was distracted by then was my mates. They would constantly turn up. You get in the car, let's go for a journey. We go to the next town and do all those things. But on that day that I came to faith, and I was reading my Bible, they came round. The next minute you've got a hold Manara, come in, a Ford Falcon and all of the usual rubbish that goes along with that culture. And they said to me, come on, let's go. go are to the footy. I said, no, I'm not. They go, what? Are you for real? I said, no, I'm not going. I couldn't tell them at that stage. I thought, oh, maybe I wasn't brave enough. I wasn't in touch with the spirit. By about the fourth week, though, I said, when they come around again, I said, no, I'm not going because I'm staying home to read my Bible. They were so perplexed. It wasn't funny. But they are some of the most treasured moments in my life of being devoted for the first time in my life to something that I felt was tangible, even though it seemed mystical to other people. So, in verse 42, it actually talks about what happened to the early believers at this time. And if you look in there, the first thing they say is they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, Back then, the scriptures had not yet been formed, so uh, it was an oral process of learning up until the scriptures were written that they were learning from the apostles' teaching, and they devoted themselves. And you look first through some of the other verses, it was on a daily basis in some cases, if not every second day and so forth. And I think that's what we need to remind ourselves of, that we uh, need to continually... Devote ourselves to the Scriptures. Now, I've just joined a uh, Bible study group up at uh, Silverdale where I live because of transport issues and other things. And I actually got challenged by the Lord the other day. Why are you going to the Bible study group? I'm going to the Bible, to the Scriptures? He says, "No, you're not." I go, "What do you mean?" He goes, "You're going there because you're lazy to do your own devotion, so you're compromising by just saying that you did the Scriptures one day a week of things." Bible studies and devoting yourself to the scriptures is a Bible study. But it's so much more as we look at the early church put themselves under that teaching on a daily and weekly basis. And it's to the apostles' teaching. And we focus on their teaching, not on the apostle. I've been involved in some Christian community groups where slightly lost the plot, where they actually focused on the leader and not the teaching. I get a little bit nervous when I hear someone say, oh, my favourite preacher is T.G. Jakes," whoop, whoop. Or it's on Hope 105, the Anglican guy that comes on in the morning. He's my favourite preacher. I don't think that's necessarily wrong. We have people that we gel with quite naturally the way that they speak. That's why I love this place, that different people bring different things to the platform. But the danger is though that we go searching after people and other things rather than the word of God that comes what's supposed to come from them. So it's just something to be mindful of, that they were under the apostles' teaching and that teaching came from Christ, not of themselves. And this teaching was to, was done within the community aspect that they were moving forward. That they was just starting Pentecost, but they didn't leave them there. That the whole idea of church and discipleship is to move forward and to move deeper to move forward and to move deeper and I think there's a bit of a challenge there that uh, the Hebrews that's Hebrews chapter 5 verse 15, that was not happening they were stuck on milk and not solid foods Keith was fooling himself that just turning up once a week for a Bible study group was good enough But my relationship with Christ was suffering because I wasn't moving constantly, moving forward and deeper into the scriptures so that I would become more like Christ. And um, nothing wrong with milk. Um, I love milk after each time I have a meal because I get a lot of reflux. A glass of milk washes it down. And... If you know all the staff actually at uh, Krispy Kreme's Penrith drive-through, they know me. Chocolate milkshake guy. Here it comes. Um, I love chocolate milk. I love milk, and it's good for you. But on our um, anniversary of our wedding anniversary, my wife organised us to go to Volcanoes. As soon as I first heard that name, I thought, "This is going to be hot and spicy. It's going to work for her. It's not going to work for me. I'm going to be putting the toilet paper in the fridge for the next week or so." And. And, then, and I went off and it was there, it was, it was a good time. And I tell you now, when the rack of lamb that I ordered turned up, it's much more substance than the milkshake. Trust me, I, I made a quantum jump at that moment. So yes, this is this is good stuff was de- delivered by a robot, by the way. This robot turns up. Well, what the heck? You pull your tray out there. You know. be- very impersonal, but very trendy, I must admit. So, therefore, we need to be on solid foods. And this is what these people were doing. They were devoting themselves in the scri- scriptures via the apostles. And the other point that I want to quickly go through is that they, the next part you'll see in that verse, if you're following. They devoted themselves to fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship there, I won't go into all the Greek, is common. Everything becomes common. Shared life, joint participation. And there's two quick aspects I want to put to that that they actually are implying here, that the um, my research seems to imply. That number one, all those that were in Jerusalem were all humans. They all had certain things that may have been in common, but not a lot. But at this moment when Pentecost comes these people that are strangers to each other become unified in community. God has been taking charge of the universe. Then at a particular time and engaging with people, sorry God, with engaging people, the Israelites. And then he comes and engages further with Jesus Christ and his life and his death on the cross for us. And then he returns back to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come. And it's the Holy Spirit of Pentecost and the future outfalling of that, that we become not strangers. We become all common. We have something in common for the first time in our lives. And we have to do with other believers. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The community of Christ unfolding itself and overflowing in the community of the believers, a true representation of the triune God that we worship. And the second part of that commonness is the overflowing of giving and receiving. And I think that was a challenge for me, especially when I went into college. When you're a single guy, you just tend to look after Channel U. So it was a big wake-up call for me that when I went into college... All of a sudden, there's these little envelopes turning up in your pigeonhole with twenty dollars in it. What's going on here? Someone's left, someone's left some money in the wrong, wrong hole here. What's going on? It's totally foreign for a working-class boy like me that you do your work, you get a wage. And my dad always brought me up: don't be a leech on society. Go and earn your wage. And that is good. It's actually partly biblical if you look at it. But this giving, this community lifestyle that is coming, supersedes that. Not only should you be giving and supporting one another uh, out of love, not out of duty, that we learn to support each other in that process. And I think there's verse in the Bible. People will know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And it's been my journey. If you wonder why I'm always carrying a packet of biscuits around, that's my little deal with God to say, hey, can you stop thinking of yourself? You need to think of other people and give generously. Generosity for me is something that I have to work for. It doesn't come naturally. So we're meant to be generous people. to giving to people that are in need and to our community. I believe in community mostly. And then it talks in that verse also about the breaking of the bread and the Lord's Supper. In this particular instance, the Lord's Supper is actually taking place around a meal. it was a very common thing to be happening around that, that time and I think it's something that I think that we're, the communities should be revisiting to actually ask how do we have formal and informal processes of worship? And I think this has taken place here they're actually in homes sharing the bread and the supper. And I think what's been present in a journey for me is turning up at certain mealtimes. It's happened at least three or four times in my life, where you go in and you're really excited. And for me, I sometimes go to parties or gatherings because I'm bored, I've got nothing else to do. I always want to do something. I go, and then all of a sudden someone says, we're just going to now give the bread and the wine. I go, what? No one told me this was happening. I feel i like have been conned into something here. My old history sometimes rears its ugly head. But as I read this, and I see what the early church was doing, why am I surprised? Why am I surprised that I turn up someone's place? And they want to make this meal occasion, a special occasion, not just that we can get together and chinwag, but that we plant ourselves under God's feet in sharing that common thing that we have with one another. So, devote ourselves to the Scriptures, devote ourselves to fellowship, and devote ourselves to worship and in prayer. And the prayer and the Lord's Supper helps us move from that self-centeredness into more of a communal thing, where we're looking and caring after one another. Okay, moving on to verse 43. And it also says there, everyone was filled with awe. I think, well, what does that mean? They always like to hear the words in the Bible and ask the question what they are, because normally as a kid that didn't go to school, I would gloss over all the hard words. So, what does awe mean? And the Greek, best Greek equivalent they could get for it was holy reverence. So they were in a holy reverence because sometimes we always want to be on the mountaintop. We always want to have that Pentecostal experience. But here, there's an actual presence that they were all in awe of what was happening around them and a sense of God's presence working in amongst them. And I find it fascinating that this reverence was in almost the same sentence as the wonders and miracle signs. And I've only experienced that once in my life, where you actually have a sense of holy reverence, but you've also got the bells and whistles, so to speak. I use that language loosely. And it was fascinating for me that, yes, you can have a sense of awe and reverence while other things such as miracle signs and wonders are happening around the place. And I think it's a challenge for us today, and it's a challenge for me as well, that we need to ask the question, if God is to turn up, that we are, should be, expecting to some level his movements in turning up in time and space. Um, I'm a little bit damaged uh, by this process, so it's a learning curve for me to how to overcome and expect that God will move in miraculous ways. Uh, I went down to Wollongong with one of my friends, and he took me to the Christian Lighthouse Centre, and I was suspicious straight away. I'm thinking, who names a church Christian lighthouse centre? Lighthouses is to warn you away that something's dangerous here. So I should have taken a note right then and walked out. Anyhow, I walked in, I sat down, and after the talk, the bloke said, anyone here new for the first time? And I put up my hand. And my mate grabbed my hand and tried and shove down. What are you doing? I'm here for the first time. He says, you must Can all those people that just put up their hands come down the front, please? I went, oh no, what if, I, what if I volunteer? I sat there and the, the waiter, they have these ushers on site, so yeah, you, you put your hand up, go down the front. And I went down the front and then they're lining everyone up and I'm looking along like this and they like, what? what the heck's going on here? Oh, this is one of those laying on their hands on the head thing scenarios. Anyway, my attitude back then was, you lay hands on me and I'll lay hands on you. I think, I keep calm, Keith, keep, keep calm. Anyhow, um, they started praying for everyone. The next minute, and I hope I'm not being disrespectful to God here. I would be very careful. But they all fell down. And it may have been a movement of God. I don't know. For them, it may have been. And that's not for me to judge. But for me, this person had their hand on me. And I haven't moved. And next minute, you know, they're all on the ground. All the other pastors are moving on. The next minute, she, what, what? Psh, psh, come over here. Psh. Next pastor comes over. There's two of them. Psh, psh. He hasn't gone down yet. Come over here. Psh, psh. and And there's six of them laying their hands on me this bloke won't hit the deck, there's something wrong we've got some evil spirit in here. so that's my uh, trauma and probably lack of expectation or I have a a sincere heart when it comes to seeking out God's miracles but later in life God did show me that he does work miracles, I've had a back problem uh, that doctors have had a look at and there was no process of healing it and I just took on Paul's message it's a thorn in my side and three times I prayed for it to go away, my grace is sufficient keep giving me grace and God gave me that grace to live through that pain for four straight years and still do God's ministry and I praise him for that but then I was at a conference and this big German fellow came out he said I've seen you crouching, I've seen you bending I've seen you wiggling, you've got a really extremely bad back haven't you? I said yes I do he said would you like me to pray for you? I said, yes. He says, get down on the floor and lay on your belly. I thought that's an interesting praying position, but anyway, we'll give it a go. <laughs> got down on my belly. And um, he's starting to pray for me. He prayed for me. It was a long prayer, and he was really seeking God's wisdom. But I didn't know he's also a physio and a chiropractor, and he just put his hands on his back, got one thing, him, and you hear this almighty crack, and the back five rows of hall all turned around. You've broken his back because it was so loud and so precise, but within one movement and with that prayer, I was healed. I uh, Do I still have back problems? Probably didn't have it there for five years, but it's starting to come back a little bit now. So I think that we've got to be open and not closed because of our bruising or our psychological damage to God's movement because we actually may miss a moment. Um, so not only should we seek... Um, ..you know, listen to God's power and movements that we should also be open to what God also asks. This is just hold with me while I... Oh, these people are doing too good of a job now. We go to verse 44, 45, if you are following. And they're all together meeting together as we move along from those three points. Um, and the next big thing that's the biggest challenge that I started with is... There's this thing of going on, selling... I can stay there now. Selling your properties and giving your goods to other people, as you read in the verse there. Is it done out of compulsion, out of a communist? The thing with community can be very mistaken. When I start talking community to my father, he thinks I've become a communist, about sharing and doing all those things. No, it's not done by compulsion. It's done out of a gift and a free will, out of generosity. But I'd have to say there are some times where it is compulsion, where the Lord, the Spirit may speak and ask and demand something of you and the question is, will you be willing or not? But generally in this verse, it is actually focusing on that the selling is for the purpose of the common good and it is given freely and generously at the foot of the apostles to hand out. And why? Why? I think because they've had this miraculous forgiveness of sin. They actually ask Peter, what must we do? And he says, you need to repent and be baptised earlier before this. So they're overdone with the generosity of Christ that they feel compelled, not tortured or twisted to give generously to the people in need. However, just like the rich young ruler, and we'll look at Acts 5 as it's coming up, there are times, though, when God demands something of you. And um, the reason, also not only for the needs, is the complexity. Imagine three thousand people coming to faith and growing, and the the governance of the apostles to have to do with that. They would. You know, people are giving up jobs. People are giving up all sorts of different things to move forward with Christ at this moment. So this whole Pentecost movement has thrown not only the conversion process, but the social structures are actually at at stretching point. So that's why I think. Well, another point, why they are actually giving in this context because there's great need people have given up, probably going back on the ships and moving away from Jerusalem to something else to something totally new, just like I said to my mates, nah something new is happening and then the new thing can come about, and the new, new possibilities now this giving up of possessions and giving up, I think for the needy but also can be, also be a giving up to see whether you're faithful or not I remember when I was in Jamboree, my dad noticed that I wasn't going terribly well at school. And he said, Keith, I think you better invest in a block of land. Uh, he said, I'm just a bit worried that you're gonna waste all your money on cars. And I can see what your mates are doing on it, and that's not necessarily our family culture. I thought, yeah, that's good earthly wisdom. i go with it. Go and buy a block of land, invest in it. And it was good earthly wisdom, but it's only earthly wisdom. And even to this day when I sold that block of land, I just had this sneaking suspicion I wasn't going to hang on to it. I got this spirit started churning in me, don't get your hoops up. And then when I decided to go to Bible college, back then you didn't have all study that would pay for it. And I knew clearly that God was then saying, it's time. It's time to give up that property, Keith. to give up your security. And I tell you, giving up the property wasn't just the hardest thing. It was wrestling with my dad saying, I'm going to Bible college, Dad. And to go to Bible... Sorry about that, folks. Going to uh, Bible college means that you're going to have to sell this land. And I remember my dad approaching me and saying to me, what are you doing? What are you going to do with your life? What are you going to Bible college for? You're looking for some persecution or something. And I remember having a four-hour conversation with my dad where he was trying to say, you honour me. I brought you up in the church. I said at my marriage, I bring you up. And he was trying to manipulate the situation. I could see that Satan was doing a little dance behind the scenes behind him. But I think the thing for me was having that wrestle with my father was also saying, sorry, Dad, I'm moving in this direction. I'm moving forward. I'm submitting to the scriptures. I'm submitting to fellowship. And I'm submitting to the Holy Spirit and his call on my life. I was scared. I was scared of giving away that land. I was scared of offending my father. I was scared of lots of things. I was even scared of Bible college and letting go and letting God do his work in me. I remember turning up um, because I came out of a remedial background in school. I could hardly read. I learned by reading by reading the Bible. Anyway, I turned up to the Bible college and I said, the guy says, the interviewer, the principal said, so Keith, you've been called, you feel like you?" I told him the story about the land and everything like that and I said I, I think I'm going to struggle here I don't know if I can come in and he put a big, he went to the bookcase behind me, he pulled out a book and he laid it on the thing he said read this and the words were this long I thought oh good this is my excuse to get out of here the spirit wanted to be there but my human nature didn't by any means, there was a wrestle going on and then I stumbled for it, and he, he looked up at me he says you're really going to battle here aren't you I said absolutely he "But I can't help but think you're meant to be here so you're in I only fell off the seat because I was looking for a way out of there. And even to the day when they rang up and said, you've got a week to think about, but finally do your final commitment, and I actually said, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know. The phone call came through. I said, what's your decision? I just went, yes. Then I hung up on the phone I looked at my dad and he heard it. And another wrestle started. But that testimony and that five-hour wrestle with my father has impacted my brother. To this day, he still remembers it. He's not a Christian. But he realised that I defined myself with Christ and my identity was in Christ and not in my father at that moment. So, if the Lord does speak and ask of your land and your possessions and you are excited about the scriptures, I hope your excitement is that you're giving it up for the needs of other people. And what I did with that money was when I turned up at the Bible College, there was a whole lot of Solomon Islanders there that had shirts on and they were there during the time. And God compelled me, this is why. And this is the moment. You gave everything away for these people and so forth. And I actually thought I'd never get married because I sold the thing. Because women, it's true enough, and men need a bit of security at times. So I thought, OK, God, I dare say it's about being single. But because of my faithfulness and because of following these early Christian steps and being reliant on, this, on the fellowship of the believers... And the community that I grew up in and saw other people sacrificially giving, I loved it so much. And I thought I want to give it. I want to be a part of this and a part of this journey. Now, I've been extra blessed on planet Earth at least that I have a house now that's almost paid off. I can't believe it. God, everything that I've given up has almost returned to me two And I didn't expect it. And I'm so gracious to God uh, for doing that in that process. So, I hope I'm not being too indulgent on my own life, but I'm just hoping that you've all got your own journeys where we take these steps and that. But I think the thing I worry most is the love of God can go from us. And I reckon the challenge for us today is looking at the New Testament Christians around Acts and when Pentecost comes. What is the effects and the overflow for us here at St. Clair in the coming months and weeks as we try to build community? and reinvent somehow or another some of those early monastic models of Christian community without it becoming a cult. (laughs) That's the tricky part of it. I've been involved in two communities that started off with servanthood and then, unfortunately, Satan hijacked it and some of the leaders then started turning it into, if not a cult-like behaviour, communist-type behaviours, where it was impulsive as opposed to generous giving or sacrificial giving hope that's been helpful for a bit of a glimpse at the uh, church. So we'll just pray now. Sorry that I didn't pray at the beginning. I've got it on my notes, but totally forgot about it. my apologies. Uh, we'll pray now and just ask that the Spirit, whatever it is, it may not be a house, it may not be goods, but what is it that God is calling us to, to be faithful and that we look at how do we create community again? I know COVID... And, and Zoom, and Zoom's necessary especially for people that have illnesses and everything but I think we need to revigor and to relook at what does community life look like because I don't know about you but I, I crave those days I can never go back to them at one level but my question is, is that we look forward, what is the new community what is the New Testament look like today with all that we've got to manage and juggle, I think it was Laura said once that we used to have pop community teas here and I think that could be a step in the right direction as I look also at and what's happening there and making that happen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your spirit, Lord, to come. And I thank you for the spirit in my life and the spirit of everyone here today That that you came down to us. You blessed us and you drew us out of something to something new. You just didn't leave us in a black darkness. But I ask, Lord, that the effects and the characters that you want of us as a church, Lord, that we read here in this verse and the challenges, Lord, to help those in need to fulfil a full community as the community of the Trinity is before us. I just pray, Lord, that we would emulate that in your name. Amen.